name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview, let's do it. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to this month's Talking Bat. I am delighted, pleased, interested, intrigued and lots of other things to be talking this month with Daniel Hargreaves. Daniel is the Bat Programme Manager for Vincent Wildlife Trust. We have known each other for a wee while, but this is probably going to be the most in-depth conversation the two of us have ever had with each other. Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Very happy to be speaking to you, Neil. Excellent, excellent. I sometimes ask uh, people in these interviews that when they woke up this morning, do they think, oh my goodness, I can't believe I ever agreed to do this? Or do they wake up slightly more enthusiastic? It sounds as if you're slightly more enthusiastic. <laughs> I never, ever need an excuse to talk about that. So having a, having a captive audience is always going to excite me. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I'm really looking forward to this and I just want to say thank you for uh, for agreeing to do it. Okay, so it's just lovely to, to have you here for our club audience and so anybody else that might be watching this in the future. So by way of introduction, folks, um, as I've already said, uh, Daniel works for Vincent Wildlife Trust. We're going to talk a lot about VWT later on and he's the back programme manager. He's also, uh, for quite a number of years now, been involved with numerous global bat conservation projects, working with a wide range of species in countries like Costa Rica, Thailand, Zambia, Trinidad and Tobago is not up there, but he's done quite a lot of stuff in Trinidad and Tobago. And he will be well known to many bat groups in the UK because in conjunction with the Bat Conservation Trust, he helped develop the National Enthusiast Pipistrelle Project. And that's a project that's been going for quite a few years now and has, uh, well, it's created an awful lot of interest and interesting uh, information about the behaviour of this species. And one last thing that I feel you should know about Daniel before we proceed, he's also a BCT Peat Guest Award winner in 2012 for inspiring others and making an outstanding practical contribution to bat conservation. And that was back in 2012. Another 10 years has passed since then. So I don't know, Daniel, do you think you might be up for this award again or some <laughs> other award? <laughs> it was a surprise to, be, um, to, to win that award the first time around so I'm quite happy that other people will get an opportunity to to take that accolade yeah no no absolutely uh, tell me look we've had a few guest award winners on Talking Bat uh, I'm not going to mention any because if I mention any I'll then forget one and then potentially offend somebody but do you actually get to take the award home with you or does it have to stay in a BCT uh, case or something I've never asked no, that you question get, you get to keep it for one year so for for one year, that lovely little um, statue, it's a brown long-eared bat. And uh, yeah, it was happily displayed on my mantelpiece for a year. And then reluctantly, I gave it back. <laughs> yeah. Ready for hoping, you don't, hoping you don't lose it or or it gets stolen or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't think of that, but that would have been a good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> tell me a little bit, just a little bit, because we're going to talk more about this a lot more later, but tell me just a couple of bullet points. What does the BAT program manager at VWT actually do? You know, what is the job in a nutshell? What is, what is my job? Yeah, I have a I have a, a team, two other people that work with me in the BAT program, and we basically we manage bat reserves for lesser and greater horseshoe bats and then we do research and innovative conservation into some of the rarer woodland bats so i spend my day now thinking about bats all day long and how we can better conserve them from a, a practical conservation point of view wow wow well we're going to talk more about vwt uh, later on but what i'd really like to do first of all is let's just go right back to when uh, you were a young chap and here is a photograph of you and I've got to say quite a dodgy Batman outfit <laughs> it's not quite as good as what you would get from uh, Asda or Tesco's today do you want to tell us a little bit about what's happening here yeah this was back I can't actually remember this photograph but this was either in 84 or 85 and I received everybody at nursery school received a present from from father christmas and in my present was this yeah terrible batman outfit but <laughs> but my my mother found this picture in a loft many years later and uh, said oh maybe it was in my blood from a very young age that, that i should be a batman so um, yeah it's, it's interesting i was only like three or four when that picture was taken so it's wow. a long time ago yeah um Wow, looking pretty cute, I would say. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I said that out loud. Yeah, I had, a, I had a lot more hair, a lot more hair then. Yeah, yeah uh, you and me, you and me both. <laughs> right. So how how did you get into how did you get into bats or wildlife or natural history? Was this something from a young age, or were you influenced by family, friends? Tell us the yeah. story. Yeah, I was always, always mad on animals. Um, I had a grandfather that loved being out in the natural world. And every weekend we'd be going out and walking around different places in Burnley where, where I grew up. And um, he loved everything, birds and animals and the like. So that sort of followed me through my childhood. And when I was seven, I was asked to choose an animal to do a school project on. And I'm not sure why, but I chose bats. And I became fascinated. And um, my my dad took me to a, a bat walk. And I bought a book at that bat walk called Which Bat Is It? by Bob Stebbins. Another book. And, I've got it over there in the briefcase. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still have a copy of it. Brilliant book. And at seven years old, I would read that book cover to cover. And I could tell you the, you know, the penis shape of a whiskered or a branch bat. <laughs> And while, while all the other children were reading, you know, Roald Dahl, The Twits and Jamie the Giant Peach, I was reading Which Bat Is It by Bob Stebbins. So uh, yeah, I was slightly unusual as a as a child, but that, that carried on. Um, I did a bat rescue that same year when I was, when I was seven. Um, I say a bat rescue. What happened is I was sat in a classroom and the deputy headmistress came in and in a bit of a panic and so I said oh could we have 
they called me Master Hargreaves. I don't know why, because I was sort of seven years old. And I thought, oh, something's happened. I'm in trouble here. And she pulled me out of the classroom and explained that there was a bat that needed rescuing in the school kitchens. And she knew I was fascinated by bats. So that's why she came to me. And we went round to the school kitchens and the bat was fine. The bat was flying around the kitchen looking for a way out. But the dinner ladies were terrified. And it was them that really needed rescuing. They were all hidden in a corner. And um, eventually this tiny little, it was a common pipistrelle. It landed on a curtain and um, I picked it off the curtain and put it into a small, a little, a little uh, plastic box. And a local park ranger came and he, he collected it and he was into back care and rehabilitation. And he looked after it for a couple of days. And then we released it in a, in a local park. And after that, everything just went batty for a number of years. And I, I picked up the nickname Bat Dan, okay. uh, which I use as my, my personal email address today. But, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that was me in my younger years and um, followed on into bats, never thought anything about a career in bats or being able to work with them. And when I got into my teenage years, I got into fishing. My, my grandfather was, was interested in fishing and my dad a little bit. And I, I started fishing and I got really into fishing and, and being in the natural world and, you know, doing work parties to do, you know, practical conservation efforts around the fishing lakes and the rivers and stuff. And I did that throughout my teenage years I was if I wasn't at home I was down at a lake or on a water body and often at, at night we'd see the bats flying around okay. you know and, uh, yeah it was it, it was good so I had a very good childhood I, I was one of these kids that would come home with frogs in my pockets and you know a hedgehog in my hood and you know which is my mum's terrified of most animals so I definitely didn't get it from her, but she uh, she definitely encouraged me to to uh, follow my passions, which was which was great. No, it's pretty amazing when you talk because uh, although I wasn't into bats when I was that age, I was very much a, a bird nerd. Okay, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I remember being in primary school and the kids in primary school would take in bird books and they would cover the names of the birds. And I would have to tell them what species of bird it is. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite amazing, you know, when, yeah, I was definitely, I can totally relate to what you're saying there, you know, but yeah. for, me, for me, it was birds. And and my first uh, time that I horrified my mum, because you've just reminded me about something, uh, we lived in a skyscraper and on the way home from infant school, uh, I collected an earthworm from a puddle. <laughs> and I took it up the lift and I knocked on the door of my mum and dad's house and I goes, mum, we're going to start a wormery and she just screamed and she sent me back down the lift. So I, I can relate to a lot to what you're saying there. I think that's, I think that's what I'm saying. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your pace, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you.
But anyway, but back to you. Um, so you leave school. Uh, you go to university, is that right? To do No, I, did, I didn't know. Um, so while I was at school, um, my sister went to university. I, I enjoyed school, but I was never completely academic. And in, you know, in, in the early 90s, if you wanted money and pocket money, you had to go and work for it. And everybody had a Saturday job or an after school job. And um, I started working in electricians when I was 12 years old. And um, the electricians, I was cleaning the windows and painting the shop and, and doing anything to get a little bit of money. And across the road was a butcher's. And um, he, came, he came across one day, George, he was called, and he said, I really like your work ethic. If you come and work for me, I'll pay you more than the electricians pay. Seriously? Yeah. And I went and joined him. <laughs> and after school, I would go and work in the shop and, you know, just cleaning and mopping the floor. And, so, but so, I really, so, so, yeah. so you were headhunted at 12 <laughs> years old. <laughs> yeah. You know, for a good work ethic. And then, so that carried on from the age of sort of 13 to 16. I, I worked and, you know, this really funded my fishing because I could buy all the fishing equipment I needed because I could, you know, I was generating my own income. And on Saturdays and in the summer holidays, I'd be working in, in the shop. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed school, but I preferred working. It gave me um, freedom, you know, that school didn't offer me. And um, when I got to 16, I had a choice of whether to go into full-time work and doing a, an apprenticeship programme or to go to college and do something else. And um, at that time, bats, well, they weren't on my radar as a job. It would never, it would have never happened. Yeah. And fishing was a hobby and I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to make a career out of that. So I went to um, college and did an apprenticeship in food science. And it was mainly related to the, to the butcher's shop. So it, it was meat science and food science. And I carried on doing that and I created, carved out a career for myself. And at the age of um, 18, I went on and I was representing the UK in all these competitions, butchery competitions around Europe. And then I got a job as a quality assurance um, manager for a, a large food company. Uh, near where I lived. I worked there for a number of years. I carried on at college and I ended up doing a MSc in, it was basically food science and microbiology and animal welfare. And I did that. And at the age of 21, I became a technical manager for a, for a large food company. And then I had a career there for 20 years, traveling the world, um, looking at food systems all over the world. and you know, eventually decided that I needed to do something different and, and came out of that career. But, you know, it was nothing to do with with bats, nothing to do with wildlife. You know, I had 20 years of a very good career where I learned a lot. And um, that really in that time, I was able to, to use the money that I was earning to help fund my other passion, which was bats, you know, and yeah. I did that all voluntary for for, you know, for all, all them years that I've been working with bats now for over 20 years, it was all all on a voluntary basis. You know, I never yeah. took any money for it. Yeah. And I think I'm right. The, the first time I met you, you probably won't remember, but the, the first time I met you and I spoke to you properly was in uh, South Wales 
uh, one of yes. the Welsh Bat conferences. Yes. And yeah. I was fortunate that uh, we were split into groups one night. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, you were you were the kind of main person in the group that I was in. And, and I remember asking you at that time, so I didn't know anything about you back then. And I remember asking you what you did. And then you told me about this uh, food, <laughs> food job. And I was going, wow, wow. <laughs> and again, a little bit similar to myself. Uh, I worked for an insurance company for 25 years. And, yeah. and the first, uh, yeah, probably about the first 10 years that I was doing that. So okay, I wasn't traveling the world. I wasn't doing uh, stuff like what you were doing. But but yeah, the insurance company was very much funding, you know, my bats, yeah. you know, and if it wasn't doing that, it was funding my kids growing up or whatever, you know, but uh, yeah, so that's fascinating stuff, fascinating yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's funny where life leads you, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, I've yeah. always been amazed by that. Yeah, and and I think it was quite recently uh, you've moved, well, no, let's let's not get into Vincent Wildlife Trust just yet, okay? <laughs> well, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to come back a bit. You, you gave me a selection of photographs to choose from uh, for us to talk about. And uh, and this is what we're going with. <laughs> and there are some pretty amazing things going on here. Now, first of all, um, I've been very fortunate. I have met Merlin Tuttle. I've spent a couple of hours. He's actually done a Talking Back interview for us. Uh, and during that interview, he did actually mention you. Okay, so uh, you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, Marilyn Tuttle, folks, is with uh, Daniel up here on the top uh, left-hand side. Uh, but before I get Daniel talking about that, um, I've got, um, I mean, this this is how special this is, right? I've got Marilyn's book here, right? The Secret Lives <coughs> of Bats. And uh, before I interviewed Marilyn, right, I thought I better read his book. Because <laughs> <laughs> so at least I know what I'm, what I'm uh, talking about. Because I, I didn't know Marilyn until I until I saw him online that day. And I got to page 190, I think it was, which is almost <laughs> to the end. And up pops Daniel and his fiancée at the time, Heidi, and I go, what's going on here? What's going on? <laughs> it's a small world. <laughs> it's a small world, but you must be, like, I know you're quite a humble guy and stuff, right? But Marilyn Tuttle is... You don't get any bigger than that in the world of bats. And he writes this book about his life. And you get a, a few pages, you know. <laughs> a, to be fair, you get more than that, because I think you helped fund a project to Thailand to photograph yeah. painted bats. Yeah? And, of course, you would have done other things as well. So uh, I just wanted to mention that, folks. And if you don't have this book, uh, folks, buy it okay it's really worth it and don't just skip straight to page 190 okay start <laughs> start at the beginning okay build up towards where daniel makes an appearance <laughs> sorry i thought i'd just throw that in there okay daniel didn't know i was going to do that folks no okay. i didn't know <laughs> anyway let's go let's go around clockwise i think a uh, no, let, yeah, yeah, let's just sound, you, you went with Merlin, or you and Heidi went with Merlin, and his, there was somebody with Merlin, was it? The, Paula, his, his wife. His yeah. wife, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you went to Thailand. I've actually, 
one of the few bat species I saw when I was in Thailand that I was able to identify was the Runcoe-lipped bats at the site where you're pictured here with Merlin. So I can say there's a lot of stuff you've done, Daniel, that I would love to do that I've never <laughs> done. But this is probably the one thing that I have done that you've done. <laughs> do you want to talk about Merlin and then just work your way through Trinibats, Zambia, David Attenborough, you know, <laughs> just to name but a few people. <laughs> yeah, I feel very privileged when you ask me to send you some photographs. I, you know, I've, I've, I've done some amazing things and I'm very, very lucky in a way that I've done that. But Merlin Tuttle, you know, as you rightly said, Neil, is a, is a legend in the bat world. And to me, he always has been. I've admired his photographs you know, for all of, almost all of my life, you know, even when I was a youngster, he was the only person that was really taking uh, really good back pictures that I knew of at the time. And um, I tried to work with Merlin a couple of times. And one of them times was Trinidad. That's when he was still at BCI, Back Conservation International. And he announced he was doing a trip to Trinidad, like a field expedition. And he was looking for volunteers and I thought, oh, I, I'd love to join this. And I couldn't make it on the dates that he was going. And then they announced the second trip and I thought, oh, here's my chance to go and work with him. And um, just before that trip is when he left BCI. <laughs> so I did, I went to Trinidad, but without Merlin, which was, <laughs> which was, which, you know, to me was, was a surprise. Um, is, is, there, is there any truth in the story that he actually left BCI at that point to avoid meeting you in Trinidad? Or... <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite, quite possible, quite possible. But um, in, a, in a way it was, you know, it, it was kind of lucky because that's how Trinibats and everything started. But just to finish on the Merlin story or to start on the Merlin story, in 2011, um, I was I was 30 years old. And Heidi, unbeknown to me, Heidi emailed Merlin and said, you and Daniel had worked really well together. Daniel wants to learn bat photography. And is there any way that you could do a trip together? And Heidi offered to finance or put some money towards it. And Merlin and I could do a trip together somewhere. And we would we would go out and finally work together. And then... He replied back to that message saying he'd be interested. And for my birthday, he sent me a picture of a, a cave myotis bat, a picture yeah. that he'd recently taken and um, a species that, that I really like. So in 2011, I emailed him and said, oh, thank you very much for the birthday, um, the birthday present. And Heidi's keen to set this trip up and I'm keen to work with you. You know, do you have anything in mind? Is there any places you haven't been? Is there any species that you want to take pictures of that you haven't? And at that time, he said, oh, I'd like to go back to Thailand. He hadn't been there for almost 20 years. And he had painted bat, naked bat, and bumblebee bat on his list of species that he really wanted to get good photographs of. And it just so happens that in 20, I think it was 2007, 2008, I'd set up a project in, in Thailand called Bat Thai. And we were basically, it was using, sort of using ecotourism to help conserve painted bats and bumblebee bats in Thailand. So I knew exactly 
where to find these species. So it was lucky. So I, I said to him, well, that's, that, for me, that's easy. We can set up a trip and we can go to Thailand. So in, in 2012, we, um, we joined forces and we went for almost a month to, to Thailand. Wow. And we traveled all around Thailand. And basically for that time, I was his assistant. So I was setting up his cameras, setting up the studio, catching the bats and creating the sets because a lot of the work he does was in sets. And yes. that, partic that particular picture there, yeah. we just spent the morning inside that cave photographing the wrinkle lip bats coming back into the cave. And if you could wow. zoom into that picture, you'll notice I'm absolutely pebble dashed with droppings okay. and urine because we... Okay. We stood for two hours under a cloud of bats. There's a, you know, there's over a million bats in that cave. Yeah. And when, when they come back, they're, you know, they're swarming. They're doing this batnado, we call it, where the, where the <laughs> re entry. And both of us were absolutely covered. <laughs> but wow. we got some, we got some amazing pictures. And that trip, really, we we egged each other on on that trip. And if you speak to Merlin. He will say that it's probably one of the standout trips for him. That that particular trip was we only slept about three four hours a night because okay. we just kept encouraging each other to to do this and do that. We got loads of super pictures from it, but also it's a um, it's the trip that nearly killed him because okay. if he wrote about it, he had when he was taking pictures towards the end of a trip, we noticed he was leaning over one way. And he won't mind me telling you this because he tells everybody about it, but he was leaning one way. And I said, I'm really worried that you don't realize that you're doing this, you know, that you leaned over. And when he got back to the States, he went and got checked out and he actually had a brain tumor on the wow. top of his, on the top of his head, on the top of his skull. And he managed successfully to, um, to, you know, to go in and, and remove it. And wow. if we hadn't, I don't think it was because we only had three hours a night, but he he still blames it on lack of on lack of sleep and overwork we did on that trip. But um, it it was very lucky. And then after that, once it recovered, we've been on so many more adventures together yeah. that I, I I wish now he would rewrite the book, The Secret Lives of Bats, because for the last ten years since we went to Thailand, we've been. Yeah. You know, we've been back to Thailand, we've been to Trinidad, we've been to Panama, to Texas, to lots of places. And I would have loved Merlin's 81. Yes, it was yeah. 81 this year. I would have loved to have been working with him when he was in his 20s and 30s, because I think together we would have been unstoppable. And I've learned a huge amount from him, not just the photography, but yeah. how to how to work with people, what conservation yeah. looks like. And, you know, it's just it's just a brilliant. A brilliant guy and he's been a great mentor mentor to me yeah well as i said i've only spent a couple of hours with him and uh, folks if you're watching this uh, it's definitely worth also checking out the talking back interview we did with marilyn tuttle so check that out on the site um but i, I wasn't sure what to expect because i'd never met him until yep. <laughs> he came on camera that day to do the the chat and I just found him just, uh, obviously, I was in total awe of his knowledge and his experience, and I'd read the book and all the rest of it. But I wasn't quite sure what his personality would be like, and just such a lovely, down-to-earth, approachable, 
straightforward kind of guy. I think, is that a fair way to describe him? Yeah, Yeah, I think think so. I think people that meet him is incredibly focused, incredibly focused, and he he can be very tunnel visioned about what he needs. Um, But it's all for the good of back conservation, you know, and anybody that set up an international organization and then yeah. was, you know, sort of went into almost into retirement, but wasn't ready to go into retirement. And then he set yeah. up Merlin Tuttle's back conservation. And yes. you only need to look at the resources that have come out of his organization since he, yeah. since he founded that one. And it's amazing. The guy just doesn't, doesn't give up, you know, it's, yeah. it's incredible. And he's, he's seen more bat species than, most people are ever, ever going to see in their yes. lifetime. It's yes. documented an amazing amount of conservation. And when we were in Thailand, you know, he was, we were there in 2012. He was last there in 1982. Okay. And when yeah. we went to that cave at Ratchaburi, yeah. he said, oh, there used to be a restaurant here that used to sell bats. They used to cook them. And it's in his film, The Secret Life of Bats, of this picture of a chef cooking bats in a wok and they're serving them to people. He said, oh, it'd be really good to see if that place is still here. Okay. And he brought his, his uh, he keeps a diary. So every trip that he does, he keeps amazing field notes. Okay. So we had his diaries from 1982 and it had the name of this restaurant and the name of the owner of the restaurant. Wow. We, we drove wow. around near the cave and quickly found out that the restaurant had closed, you know, over a decade ago. But we actually tracked down the owner of the restaurant and he was running a, a news agent. So, you know, we, we found this guy 20 years on and he told us a story how, how we met Merlin and how he'd stopped, um, you, you know, catching the bats, poaching, basically, and, and, and serving the bats and how legislation was changed in Thailand to protect, to protect that particular colony at Ratchaburi. And all of that was from Merlin's early work saying that there's a, a significant impact on poaching to the bats here. Yeah. But also the guano, which you've probably seen for yourself, they collect yes. the guano and they sell it. And it makes an enormous amount of money for the for the local local population. Yeah. So yeah, it was, you know, it, a brilliant trip and a, a brilliant person to work with. And as I said, we've been on many more expeditions since and we have some planned for the future. So, you know. Wow. Now I'm gonna take I'm gonna take you back to Heidi, all right? Because this was this was her idea and yeah. she funded it. Okay. P- please tell me you married this girl, yeah? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, Heidi's definitely not one definitely not one to lose, but she used to surprise me. Heidi's one of these people. Right. That she'd never be embarrassed to contact anybody if you know if she felt okay. felt it was something I want I really wanted or I enjoyed she's the first person just to email or call people and say can we set this up so yeah. very very you know she's been yeah. a great supporter of mine and my number one cheerleader in everything that I've done so um, yeah, am I right in saying is is she a veterinary nurse or is she, she she's a vet she's a she's vet, a vet. Okay. yeah right. yeah and she she specialises in in wildlife and we met through bats she was um she was interested in wildlife rehabilitation at the time okay. and she she was learning bat care and okay. um i was at the time with hearts and middlesex and essex bat group okay. and she was at essex wildlife hospital and uh, our paths met and 
yeah, the rest is history. And before you knew it, she had to travel to Thailand with Marilyn Tuttle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's talk about some of the other things going on here. Um, we, yeah. Yeah, go, go for go for some of the other stuff that's up there. Yeah, Trini, yeah. so Trini Bats, that, that picture in the in the centre there is yeah. me with uh, now the directors and the founders of, of Trini Bats. So okay. the guy second on the on the right um okay jeffrey, oh no sorry the, sorry on my yeah on this that one, side yeah. that yeah. one yeah is uh jeffrey gomes okay so jeffrey was the only bat person in trinidad and tobago really he's a he's an incredibly good birder sits yeah. on a few um committees or did in trinidad and tobago for for rare birds and the likes but he was a batman and he was interested in bats and in 20, I think it was about 2009 or 2010, he actually contacted Merlin when he was at BCI and said, I really want to help the bats of Trinidad. And all these bats are listed as vermin in Trinidad and Tobago. There's almost 70 species. And him and Merlin decided to run a what, what was called a BCI Founders Circle Tour, where people could pay to go on a trip and they would see some bats in another area and Merlin would create some of the wonderful photos that he takes and some media to sort of help help conservation efforts. So Jeffrey set up this trip and then that trip was such a success that BCI decided to run a second one. And that's one that I joined. I went on there as a, as a volunteer and there's a, a lady called Fiona Reed from Canada um, who's a a naturalist and an author and a, and a bat person as well. So Fiona Reed was leading the trip with Jeffrey and Jeffrey Gomes was the person in, in Trinidad. And me and Jeffrey got on brilliantly. We had a, a superb time. I saw so many species of bats there that I'd always wanted to see, including, you know, vampire bats and fishing bats and diswing bats. We had a really good trip. We worked really well together. And Jeffrey said, you know, he said, these trips are great but I'm trying to conserve the bats of Trinidad and yeah. trying to conserve something that's listed as vermin is really difficult because nobody wants to fund it. Nobody's yeah. really that interested. So, you know, we banged our heads together and I said, well, I'm sure people would come out and pay to come on a trip to a Caribbean island and see all these amazing bat species. And if we can set it up, it's a way to generate income and interest and then yes. over time, we'll see how it develops. So we, we did that. We did an initial trip to Trinidad. I think it was in 2011. And it was a really good success. And we said, okay, we can do this. We can invite bat workers from the UK, from the States, from Canada, from anywhere. They come out for 10 days. It's a um, fully exclusive expedition. And uh, we travel around Trinidad and we see some amazing things. And that carried on. We did that every year. And over that time, it basically generated some money and some funding. It meant that we could research some of the areas in Trinidad that hadn't been hadn't been looked at before. And more importantly, it gave Jeffrey a voice because people were suddenly interested in bats. So we created the Trini Bats website. We created a, a Facebook page. And Jeffrey and Fiona teamed up and wrote a book about the bats of Trinidad and Tobago. 
and uh, that was published and sent out. And at the same time, Geoffrey put a pack of information together for the government about the bats of Trinidad and Tobago, how important they were from things like pollination, seed dispersal, pest control, a whole pack. It was about 18 or 19 pages long, sent that to the government. And we kept updating, making videos for social media and creating creating enthusiasm for bats. And then in 2016, finally, the government took bats off the vermin list and wow. made them a protected species. So this this tiny project that just developed from, you know, an initial idea sort of blossomed and became this small NGO. And the people in that picture there, you've got Luke Rostant, who's a a lecturer at the university in the West Indies. You've got Geoffrey Gomes, Janine Seaterhow. Janine looks after the um, anti-rabies unit for the government. And then you've got Darshan Narang, he's a local ecologist, and then myself on the end. And they've carried on with Trinibats. And we have a voice in Trinidad. And if there's anything that people need to know about bats, then they generally come to us and we contacted him. So, you know, I feel very privileged to have helped start something. And over that time, so many people have come on them trips and and gone on to do amazing things themselves, but just really enjoyed, you know, really enjoyed getting out and seeing some of these incredible bats. You know, it's fabulous. And do they still run the trips to Um, Trinidad? Yeah, yeah, we haven't after... After the um, legislation came out and bats became protected and the book was published, there was less of a need for us to keep okay. going. So we slowed yeah. down. Um, but And then obviously COVID happened and, and the, world, the world stopped. But I've been out there recently doing some other work and um, we were talking about perhaps resurrecting and doing some of the trips because there's some areas that we never got to survey that we'd like to do. And yeah. people often ask, when's the next one? You know when's the next one happening because for some people it was it was their annual holiday or a trip of a right. lifetime you yeah. know was to go out to these places and see see some of these amazing bats wow wow next picture along i believe that's a more recent picture it is year, that was yeah yeah that yeah. was probably about two weeks ago um, wow okay that, that was in zambia in okay. uh, kasanka national okay. park because it's getting an awful lot of attention now, isn't it, from it a is. conservation point of view? Yeah. It is, and, and rightly so, you know, rightly so. Kasanka is home to the largest mammal migration on Earth. You know, you've got up to 10 million fruit bats migrating yeah. into this tiny swamp in, in Kasanka National Park. And, you know, the park itself and the forest where the bats are roosting is reasonably well protected. Okay. Um, but it became apparent over the last few years that the landscape around it, the habitat around it, wasn't as well protected as what okay. people first thought. And there's a lot of agricultural encroachment into the park, but there's also changes to to the waterway into the river to um, you know to irrigate crops for for agriculture. So the, there's this risk and impact onto the bats at Kasanka, and it's one of these things that if we turn a blind eye to it things can just change and disappear and it's too late before we know anything about it. So in 2020, um, a friend of mine from Kent Back Group, Catherine, Catherine Leggett, she yeah. was employed by Kasanka Trust as a knowledge manager. Okay. So she's now living at 
Kasanka in Zambia, and uh, okay. she's there for the next next few years, or at least the next couple of years. Yeah. I've never um, I've never met Catherine, but I've corresponded with her by email. And, yeah, well, you uh, should definitely invite her onto here at some point. Okay, there's something. That's an idea. That is an idea. Yeah, that would okay. be good to do and talk about Kasanka. But um, we basically in 2020, obviously nobody could travel, but she contacted a few back people and said, I need some help here. You know, we need to draw attention to what's happening. So we raised some um, some images and we put some social media posts out there and I asked Merlin to pick up on it and, and support it as well. So Merlin did a, a T-shirt campaign and put some pictures out there. And we said as soon as we could, we'll, we'll try and organise an expedition or a visit. So through Merlin's organisation, we basically had three weeks Kasanka and uh, people paid to come and join us and okay. we were researching the bats in the park not just the fruit bats but the other species okay. that you can that you can find there and the picture that you've that you've chosen there is it's taken at dawn when the fruit bats are coming back to roost in the forest it's okay. on top of the yeah. bird hide and yeah. you've got two interns uh, one Garney and Alison from okay. bats with bats without borders so they're All on right. Internship for Bats Without Borders, and the lady on the end is Barbara, and she's an ecologist from the Department of National Parks and Wildlife in Zambia. So, okay. as part of the project with Merlin, we always like to build capacity, and that was, you know, that was building capacity, training new people, and also providing some equipment for Kasanka so they can go on and do more surveys and, and more work on bat conservation. Wow, wow. Is it a difficult place to get to? I mean, what's what's the flights and the connections like? I mean, the... yeah, it's um, it, basically from from here, from the UK, you fly either into Dubai or into Doha, Qatar. Okay. So it, it's a connecting flight. Then flights are about eight to 10 hours each. Okay. And then when you arrive in Lusaka, you've then got to get to Kasanka. And you can either do that by road, which is about 10 hours journey. Okay. Or you can hire a small plane and fly up, which is about 90 minutes to get up to Kasanka. So it, it is difficult to get there, but, you know, it's it's worth it. When when else are you going to see a migration like that? Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, just incredible. And the bats are migrating from really from October. And now is the, the peak time. It's when the okay. numbers are at the highest at the end of November going into December. And then by January, they're all leaving again. So they've got this three-month window, which is really important to the park because that means people want to go and see this amazing spectacle. And, um, you know, it's just, it's one of them things, if you've got a bucket list for bats, then Kasanka's got to be on there because, you know, you're not you're not going to see that anywhere else in the world. It's just, just incredible. Yeah. And other wildlife, obviously lots of birds, other species of bats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's and a they, great... Um, there's a great film that I think it's on Disney Channel okay. about Kasanka, but it's about the crowned eagle, the great oh, crowned eagle, okay. which is yeah. a huge eagle that typically catches monkeys. Monkeys, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but for the few for the few months the bats are there, it yeah. turns its attention to to catching bats as well. Okay. And there's yeah. lo lovely footage of the bats and the eagle, and um, it just gives you a feel for how immense this place is. You know, it's just just incredible. 
you're very quickly sorting out my holidays for the next few years. <laughs> right, David Attenborough. Um, David, David Attenborough, yeah. yeah. I always, I, I generally use this picture and say, oh, can you recognise, you know, who this famous person is? And, um, you know, David Attenborough is there, a person that I always wanted to meet, a person that I, you know, I've watched every documentary with yeah. David Attenborough. I've got most of them on, on DVD, you know, it's yeah. it, it's a hero of mine. So in 2013, um, I had a call. It was, I think it was through Bristol Bat Rescue at the time. Yeah. And they'd been contacted by the BBC saying, has anybody got a captive bat? Because um, there's a series with David Attenborough and they want him to hold a bat and speak to the camera. And okay. I, I picked this up and said, definitely i'd be interested in this so i contacted the um, the producer and she said yeah we've got this show it was david attenborough's natural curiosities i think was the, the series okay. Okay. and there was an episode on bats and they wanted sir david to hold a bat and then release it and let it let it fly towards camera and i said okay it should be should be achievable at that time we had two um two bats that we were using for educational purposes. So yeah. Heidi, my wife, had a notule that she'd hand-raised from, okay. from a, a pup. You know, it was a pinky. And we had yeah. that notule yeah. for 12 years in the end. But um, it was used to go to schools and, and school groups. And it had it developed brittle bones. It was never, ever going to be one that could be returned to the wild. But okay. it was used purely for education. And we also had this long-eared bat that was reluctant to fly. It was at a wildlife rescue centre. And it came to me to try and teach it to fly so it could fend for itself in the wild. So it, it was relatively tame for, for a little while. So that, that picture there is a brown long-eared bat called Whisper, who eventually was released, successfully released. But, um, yeah, I arrived at this house near Bristol. It was being filmed in somebody's garage, and there was a, a backdrop to make it look like we were in a, a batty area. Okay. And um, Sir David came in, and there was a script, an auto-cue that we had to write about the bats. And okay. I was basically asked if I could wear a, a blue shirt and a jumper and basically, it was like a stunt double. <laughs> the, idea, the idea was that he would hold the bat and it would be a wide shot to camera and he right. would be talking about it. And then they would zoom into his hand. And at that point, I would be holding the bat and I would manipulate it to release okay. it and, and let it fly. And uh, it was brilliant, you know, getting to work. I, I was terrified because they always say, don't meet your heroes. Yeah, you know, everyone yeah. says, and I, I thought, mm, you know, is he going to be the person I've I've built him up to be? And he was, he he was just such a gentleman. He was absolutely brilliant, and he he put everyone at ease. He's yeah. he's brilliant at what he does. You know, he, he he came in, he came straight over to me, shook me by the hand, and said, um, "I've not done a lot of a lot of things about bats. I don't know a lot about them. I'm going to listen to everything that you say." And just tell me what I need to do. And, you know, that was his attitude to it. And yeah. 10 minutes later, he was holding a long eared and a nocturnal like he'd been doing it all of his life, you know. And, and then it was sort of action and he read to the auto cue and um, it was great. And then he wasn't at that time. It's, it's just before he had it. He had a, 
uh, a heart problem, an angina problem. It was it was at that time. It was meant to be, it was meant to be for an hour, and then he was disappearing to somewhere else in the UK. But because he wasn't feeling great, he actually said, "Oh, is there any chance we can do a longer piece? And can you, you know, could you do two days?" So <laughs> at the time, I was fully employed with my previous employers, you know, in in quite a high profile job. And I remember ringing my boss and just saying, sorry, I'm not coming into work because uh, okay. <laughs> I've got a meeting with David Attenborough. <laughs> and, you know, it was like the best excuse ever. And um, yeah, it was it was great. I got to spend two days with him and um, it, my wife, Heidi, as well, came along, which was which was okay. brilliant. And he signed a book for us. And wow. af- afterwards, he sent a lovely letter in the post, you know, just saying how much he'd, he'd enjoyed it and enjoyed meeting the bats and, you know, handwritten on yeah. this uh, address paper. And yeah, I've, you know, I've, amazing uh, stuff. Amazing yeah, just stuff. The, just yeah. incredible. So lucky, so yeah. fortunate. I read this autobiography. Uh, it's probably done a few now, but there was an autobiography that was out about maybe 20 years ago when taking it from the time before he was involved in the natural history side of the BBC. And I think he, I think from memory, he eventually became, was he controller or head of BBC Two, I think, at one point. Mm. And I think it was then from there, he then went on to doing more of the natural history stuff for something like that. I can't remember exactly, but it's a fascinating fascinating, uh, read about, about his life and his journey. Uh, yeah. his career journey yeah it's just yeah. incredible incredible yeah. so, you know remains a hero you know still still churning out all that work at, at his age is just yeah i mean he must how, be a fair age now as well i mean and uh, how old is he must be in the 80s late, is he no like 90s i think is he? seriously wow yeah. and right then so yeah that, go for that, it that last image there is the greater bulldog bat yeah. noctilio leprinus and um yeah. that you know, a kid that was interested in bats and then interested in fishing to find. Oh, that, right. To, okay. Yes. Okay. To find I've got the connection now. Right. A, <laughs> a species of bat that fishes in the dark of night is just yeah. amazing. And there's actually, you know, across the world, there's seven bats that we know include fish in their diet, but there's yeah. four four species which are, are fishing bats. And this one, the greater yeah. bulldog bat, is uh, the master of all of them. It's just. Yeah just an amazing animal and just to capture people's imagination you know it, yeah. it's incredible i've been very lucky to work with them in a few a few places now and um hopefully in the next couple of years you'll see some some footage i can't say a lot about it because it's something i've been working on and i've signed an agreement not to not to let the cat out of the bag but i've been working on greater fishing bats and it will be on on television at some point in the next couple of years and some incredible incredible uh, footage of them shall we say yeah well, well as you know and uh, daniel's going on about this for a good reason folks okay because just before we started the recording uh i told daniel i've actually got a picture of uh, this species uh, over there in the on the wall and i went to costa rica and i actually employed somebody for a night in total darkness in costa rican uh, waterways to see if I could actually see this species without any proper help at all. I was totally winging it and I totally failed. <laughs> so, but, uh, 
But I know next time I go, Daniel, uh, I'll phone. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll point me in the right direction. Yeah, but amazing bats, amazing bats. Right, let's let's get up to date, okay? Because you, you uh, let's put it, you departed your lifelong career in the food industry, I think earlier this year, is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. in June. Yeah. June. And at that point, at long last, you <laughs> eventually ended up with a proper job to do with bats with Vincent Wildlife Trust. Now, we've mentioned this already. Uh, Daniel's the bat program manager. Uh, and you've told us a little bit about what your job entails. This must be, look, again, and it's amazing how similar but different. Okay, I, I left 25 years in the insurance sector and I set up Echoes Ecology, okay? Um, and goodness, that was a shock to the system for me, right? I mean, because as much as as much as that was exciting, and I was going to turn my hobby into a job, it was very, very different when yeah. you were having to get up every day and do this as a proper paid-for job. That if you didn't turn up, in effect, you weren't able to live. How, how have you found this transition? I mean, have you found it easy? Have you? That must have been a. That must have been a. That must have been a, a degree of caution because you were doing pretty well where you were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a lot of caution. So, you know, for for twenty years, I worked for the same company and I built my, you know, built up a career, and in. You know, I, w I was second in charge of company. I was responding to the owner. And, you know, my career looking forward at the time was probably to take over the business and, <laughs> and carrying it on into the future. And um, it was quite a high-profile job, you know, and I had a, a large team of people working underneath me. But I always had this passion for bats, always, and it, it never went away. Um, my boss knew this. You know, he was always fearful that at some point that passion was was going to take over. And um, I think through COVID times, I, I got COVID early on, COVID-19. I was quite ill with it. Okay. And um, through them years, I thought, oh, I'm not sure I want to spend the next 20 years working in, in, in the industry and doing something I'm not passionate about. I was very, very good at it, but not necessarily passionate about it. And yeah. there's a big big difference between them things you know you can be brilliant at something but if it doesn't appeal to you if you're not passionate about it then eventually you know you, you're going to move on to other things so um yeah covid came and went and it, that slowed down a little bit and i thought okay this is probably a good time for me to think about the think about the future and at the end of 2021 i'd been offered some some other things to do with bats some some trips and some some bits of, of freelance work um, to do with conservation, to do with filming, to do with all sorts of things. And I thought, okay, I can't really do this and be working in this high-profile job. So I'd, yeah. I'd sort of decided I was going to make a change. And then, you know, one day I saw this advert pop up from VWT saying, back program manager. And I thought, hmm, 
that's interesting because I'd seen that advert come up in 2015 and at that time it it interested me and I'd always admired the work of BWT you know they were practical conservationists you know they weren't just lobbying or saying the right things they were doing the right things and they were building these back reserves so it really appealed to me so this this job came up and I thought I'm going to apply and I might not have the qualifications that that they're asking for I might not be the right person but let's let's see so um I applied and then yeah a few months later I was there as back program manager so I left left my old career and started working for a charity yeah on a very different budget both personally and a budget yeah. to manage for the charity but you know suddenly waking up every day and just constantly thinking about bats is it's just it's amazing you know i should have probably done it earlier but if i had i wouldn't have done all the other things that we've spoken about so i you know i've got no regrets on that side and i just think for me personally it was a good time in my life life to do it so you know i i joined them in june and um yeah it's it's been a whirlwind of of six months but just learning more about the organization learning about what we can and what we can and can't do and you know i'm lucky in a way that a lot of my personal projects have either been coming to an end or they fit in quite well with what i'm doing with vwt as in there's no crossover or no conflicts of interest there and the bat world's been amazingly supportive you know all friends and colleagues and people that I've known for years have all been very supportive of, of me joining. So that's that's been really, really good, really encouraging. So a couple of questions then. Um, I would imagine when you explained to Heidi you were thinking about doing this, she was completely supportive, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's the easy conversation. Um, yeah face-to-face with the old boss to tell him you were leaving <laughs> or was that a text or a phone no, no, call definitely, or... <laughs> no, no. definitely definitely face-to-face and um you know we'd had conversations in the past and I'd been offered opportunities in the past and and there was another time where I very nearly left there was two times actually in 2008 um I took a sabbatical for for three months and I went and and worked or volunteered with Operation Wallacea, and I was oh, yeah. um, in a cloud forest in Honduras catching bats mm. for three months. And that trip, I basically said to to my boss at the time that I'm going on this trip. I'm not asking you if I can go. I'm asking you if you want me to come back or not. And he said, "Yes, definitely come <laughs> back." And that 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 was 2008, and I came back from that, and. Um, he sort of thought, oh, that's an itch that he's scratched and he's come back from it. And yeah. then a few years later, I nearly worked for Back Conservation Trust. Um, and I was going to go for that job, but it wasn't great timing for me personally because Heidi was just finishing at university and, you know, I wanted to support her as much as I could. So I didn't take that job. And then this one came around and um, I looked at it. It's one of them. I looked at it for a while. And then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And it, it coincided with, I went for the interview on a Friday. And on the Saturday morning, I flew out to Trinidad for three weeks to work okay. on this, this other project I was working on. And I had the interview on the Friday. And then on the Monday, uh, BWT called and said, 
if you want it it's it's your job so I had a little bit of time to think about it and um, it was one of them moments where you make a list of positives and negatives yeah, negatives okay. and yeah. pros and cons and yeah. what it how it's going to affect your life yeah and then um, I came back from that trip and then went and spoke to my boss you know a lot of respect for each other there's no way I'd do it by text or telephone call and I sat yeah. down with him and yeah. as soon as we sat down he knew yeah <laughs> he knew straight away and I, and I said to him it's nothing about the money it's nothing that he's done wrong it's just sometimes a passion just shouts out to you and it doesn't matter what you do you can't put enough water on it to dampen it and he could have thrown anything at me and it wasn't going to change my mind at that time I'd already I'd already decided to go so he was very 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 thankful of the time I'd had with him very gracious about it and um, you know we left on very good terms and good. you know I'll, I'll always be in touch with with them and um, yeah three months I was also I was on a, a long notice period if I was going to a competitor I had a 12 month notice period wow okay so um but because I wasn't going to a competitor I'd managed to negotiate this three month period okay and yeah. within them three months I had to set up set up the team the team that I was leaving behind and make sure that the company was going to continue without me Yes. You know, and, um, and basically make sure that it was a smooth transition, which which it seemed to work really well. You know, and I started my new job very fresh and, yeah. and ready to start, you know, which has been brilliant. Wow. Wow. What a story. What a story. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just what I, it's just what I love about uh, doing these uh, conversations. You know, it's just uh, it really gets into, into the background as to you know, what happens. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, VWT, they've got an absolute excellent website, folks, if you don't know anything about them. Um, they do all kinds of things. Uh, earlier this week, actually, uh, Daniel, we had Johnny Burks doing a webinar for us on Pine Martins. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And he actually talked about the 8th International Martis Symposium. <laughs> okay, so there's a little bit of a link there, folks. If you kind of think you've seen that picture earlier this week, if you've saw Johnny Burke's uh, Johnny Burke's uh, session he did with us, but obviously, you know, you know, so not just bats, but but one particular project uh, that is attracting a lot of attention uh, recently, I suppose, probably within the last year, has been uh, this location. Uh, down in the south of England, where VWT are trying to, uh, well, they've already succeeded in, I think, purchasing this property. And now the race is on to maintain it and improve it before it disintegrates into the ground, I suppose. Uh, do you want to say a few things about this, Daniel? And then we'll run a video on it. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, I joined in June, and before I joined, I spent a couple of days working with a team at VWT, and I, I was lucky to visit this site. And it's a site down in Sussex, and what's unusual is it's a maternity roost for greater horseshoe bats. Now, a greater horseshoe bat colony hasn't been seen in Sussex for a long time. There's been lots of, or a few records of individuals hibernating, 
there was a couple of signs of, of animals breeding because there was a mum and a pup seen in, a, in an adjacent roost. But this was a roost that bats were returning to and, and having their pups. And we were very, very lucky. Uh, a volunteer, Scotty Dodds, actually found this site. He was doing a routine uh, survey, ecological survey. It was going to be um, a development. It was going to be turned into a dwelling. And Scotty was going around the site and he spotted these bats and recorded them and wasn't 100% sure if what he'd seen was true because, you know, you don't come across greater horseshoe bats down here. But he saw this small yeah. colony, videoed it, shared it with some colleagues, Tony Hudson and people. And, um, yeah, you know, it's a greater horseshoe bat colony in Sussex. So this is almost 100 kilometres from the nearest maternity roost, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And before I start the video, how many how many adult females are typically on this, do you know? Is so it... it was a record this year. We saw 12 um, adults yeah. and they had five five pups this year, which is amazing. But the building, you'll probably see it from the video. You know, we, we secured the money. You can imagine trying to buy a building in Sussex. This is one of the richest areas yeah. in the yeah. country. So, you know, VWT were amazing and the Sussex back group were incredible in actually getting this money together and 200k was needed to take the building off the market and then a further 200k is needed to, um, to actually help build it, re-roof it, stabilise the walls and, and make it into a back reserve. Wow. So, yeah. Right, folks, it's just a short video, but I think it's worth playing the video. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just, me, me and Daniel, just be quiet now for a few minutes and we'll just play the video. Imagine thinking you found a safe haven to raise, to raise their pups in a derelict stable block in West Sussex. And although, thanks to the huge generosity of individuals and groups, we have saved the building as a roost for this rare species, it is literally falling apart. These are just completely rotten. All needs replacing, and it all costs money. So these are actually one of our rarest species in the UK. Um, and this is almost 100 kilometres away from where we, we typically find them. Their stronghold is in the southwest of England, so to find them over here in West Sussex uh, is very unusual. They haven't been found here for 100 years. So by safeguarding this roost, um, fixing up the walls, fixing up the roost, making a safe haven for them, we can help this species to recover a huge part of their former range in this country. So unfortunately there's imminent risk that the roof may collapse, um, so that puts the bats at grave danger of uh, destruction of the building but also they're very vulnerable to predators at the moment. So cats and owls can get in, they may predate the young pups as they're learning to fly. So we urgently need to A, secure the roof, but make the building secure from predators and other disturbance. This corridor that we're stood in is the main flight path out for the bats and at this time of year the young bats uh, are going to be taking their first flights out into the wide world. And the problem we've been having is a tawny owl's been coming in and either perching on the windowsills or perching on these old stable stalls and the, the, the young bats could be easy prey. So we've put these little anti-perching devices in and just to keep the owl out, out, out of the corridor area. 
So this is a temporary measure. We really need to make this building secure and for that we need your donations. So we need to raise £200,000. £150,000 of that is just to put a new roof on it. That's our biggest expense. Um, but really we don't have much time to do this because the winter's coming and this is when the time of year that we need to do the work. So we need to raise this money quite urgently. So we are very far away from the core range of this species, over 100 kilometres in fact. And the reason that's so significant is that these species were found here for probably thousands and thousands of years, but they haven't been found here in living memory. So if we can secure this site, that's a good breeding roost for them, and then they can slowly start to disperse out and recover a huge part of the range where they, they should be thriving. You've been unbelievably generous in helping us raise the money to buy the building, but now we need to raise a lot more to restore it to make it safe and secure for the bats. Every donation really will help. £30 will buy us a few new roof slates, and £100 will help us to replace some of the rotten roof timbers. So please dig deep and help us if you can. Um, this is a really good conservation story. There's a really good chance that this is going to work, but we only have a short period of time to get the work done. The bats will leave in autumn and then we have a few months to get the work done before they come back in spring. Please will you help us to safeguard this roost. Yeah, so there we are, folks. Uh, I thought it was really nice to play that uh, video, Daniel. Um, and I'm pleased to say that as a thank you for uh, Daniel's time during this interview, uh, that ability is going to be making a small donation uh, towards uh, this project at some point later this week. And anybody watching this uh, video at some point in the future, uh, very easy to donate to VWT. You just go on to the vwt.org.uk forward slash donate. Uh, it's up there on the screen. And you'll notice that on the website over on the top right hand side, they've got a donate button. And there you can either donate directly or via Sussex Sussex Bat Groups Just Giving page. Okay, so uh there you go folks if you want to contribute anything towards this project uh, no matter how little i'm quite sure vwt will be very very appreciative daniel how's that sound <laughs> brilliant thank you thank you for that neil that that project is in incredible really you know this is a true story of a species that once used to occur in an area. It used to be in the southeast, you know, greater horseshoe bats have only disappeared because of human interventions, really. So to think that a species is claiming back an area, I think it's just amazing because in the bat world, we can't do these rewilding projects. We can't do these reintroductions yeah. and move bats from an area to another area. And the only way we can get them back is to encourage them to do it themselves. So the fact that these greater horseshoes are moving in and recolonizing an area that they used to have is a really strong conservation message that what we are all doing is right. 
you know this yeah. this is you know it's not just the work of rwt this is everybody that's working in bat conservation that if we restore habitats and we we can manage roofs and protect them then the bats will recover and i think it's a really a really strong message and um, yeah if anybody can donate we're you know incredibly grateful and the bat world has been amazing you know the, the majority of funds have come from bat groups and individual bat workers and companies and consultancies that have donated money to this project and it's just really heartwarming to think that you know that the bat world's really really enthused about the project so yeah thank you for sharing no absolutely absolutely and it's so nice to do one of these interviews where we haven't just uh you know talked about you know the person we're interviewing which in this case yourself but but we've actually got a, a very strong uh conservation uh message to put across here that of something that's actually alive that is active that is happening now folks so yeah as as i said and as as daniel's been saying uh yeah you know stick in even if it's a tenner or 50 quid or whatever it is uh it'll be gratefully received i am but it, I'm uh, sure. just, yeah. just the thing to add neil uh, is yeah. the vincent wildlife trust was set up by a guy called Vincent Weir in 1975 and is a guy that nobody ever hears of. He's, he's not up there in the list of people's conservation heroes, but if they did know about it, he would be because many of the organisations that we have today were founded by Vincent. You know, he, he put a lot yeah. of money behind him, including like Bat Conservation Trust and obviously the Vincent Wildlife Trust. And yeah. one of his early projects was finding these buildings where these rare bats were and taking them off the market and basically developing them for bats. So we've got almost 40 bat reserves across the UK and Ireland, which we manage purely for bats and greater horseshoe bats. We have over 50% of the UK population on our reserves. So it, it, it works and it's carrying on from the great work that, that Vincent started. And many, many bat workers, you know, really good bat workers, uh, Colin Morris's, the Henry Schofields, yeah. you know, Nita Glover and the team that we have now, Tom and Marina, have all carried on this tradition of, of practical conservation. And yeah. it, it's incredible. So as well as donating, if people want to volunteer and get involved with the with the Vincent Wildlife Trust, then they can do. They'll notice on the website there's a page for people to volunteer and they can join us on a on a roost count or a hibernation check or just help us come and maintain some of the reserves. You know, it's it's an incredible organization to be part of. That's that's amazing stuff. And that's 1975, you said that uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that Cause... Vincent started. He started on otters, not on bats, but okay. um, once he, he felt that the otter population was recovering, he, he sort of moved away. And then the rarer bats, the greater horseshoe and the lesser horseshoe are a priority species, both the Barbastels, Becksteins, and, and then some European species as well. Yeah. And and back then, I, I think I think this is maybe without sounding, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, I know what I'm trying to say. I'm just going to try and make sure I put it across properly. I think it's hard for people that are getting into bats today where they see that there's thousands of people interested in bats bats are heavily protected they're getting a lot of positive press especially in this part of the world they do feature 
uh, in natural history programs and all this kind of stuff. But back in 1975, nobody was interested in bats. I mean, bats, you know, other than other than a very small core group of individuals, you know, bats had a really bad press. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. So. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, 1975 predates any of the legislation protecting yeah. them. So for these people to have the vision that this is something important and we need to do it. Our first bat reserve was down in Devon, Rock Farm, and that was bought in 1980. And there was about 250 greater horseshoe bats in that reserve at the time. And yeah. fast forward to now, and there's two and a half thousand greater wow. horseshoe bats on yeah. that reserve. It's it's yeah. incredible. So it, it demonstrates that it that it works. You know, what we've been doing is is right. And just coming back to what you were saying there, yes, we've got thousands of people interested. We've got bat groups set up, we've got national bat helplines. One of the things that's inspired me is if you travel around the rest of the world, we are absolutely unique. There yeah. is no other place in the world where people are as devoted to bat conservation in such in such a large way. Most of the other countries in the world, it's a few individuals that just yeah. need help and capacity. And that's one of the things that spurred me on to go further than the UK and do some of these global projects was people really need help. They need some of our skills that we have to be taken to the rest of the world to help with their conservation efforts. Yeah, no, totally, totally ditto all of that. I can totally, totally relate to all of that. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think we'll bring things to a close. Wow, <laughs> that has been... Uh, that's journey. Been yeah that has been amazing and uh yeah you've just shared so much there about your life your experiences your background what you've done what you're doing um that is you know i just think today's session has really um got across what we really try and do with these talking back interviews so so well okay we've covered so many different aspects of uh you know, Daniel and his past and his current life and all the rest of it. Uh, what we tend to do here, Daniel, is I tend to shut up and I ask you to finish things off and say goodbye to our audience. And at that point, I'll stop the recording. So finish it off any way you want, Daniel, and we'll <laughs> stop the recording. Yeah. Right. Brilliant. Well, I first wanted to thank you, Neil, because um, as you said at, at the very start, we're often just grabbing a quick chat in between other meetings or the things that are going on. So it's actually been really nice to be able to spend a little bit longer with you and share share some of these stories. So I really appreciate you uh, you asking me to come on to come on today. And then yeah, if people want to contact me, please feel free. You can contact me through VWT and I'll pick up your your emails there. I would say I'm mad about that. Absolutely passionate about them slightly odd always have been not worried about sharing that that oddness um, i'm very much a, a bat nerd and i love hearing about other people's projects and helping other people get to a stage where it's a, a passion for them or they need help with projects so please don't you know don't hesitate to contact me 
and um, hopefully at some point I'll get back to you. And many of the photographs that you see that I take, I don't do that because we're ever going to get rich from bat photography. I do it to share the wonders of bats. So if people need photographs for anything, for media or for training, then please do get in touch and I'm more than happy to share some of the photographs of bats that I, that I have. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited, audio-only version of the original video session. The full version, including video, is available via Batability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to batability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you.